Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, we discuss the challenges and opportunities companies face as they shift their business to the cloud. Do you think it should be different uh, depending on the economic period or should leaders be thinking about transformation kind of in a consistent way no matter uh, what the economy looks like? I've got a, I've got a thought for you. Um, I think when, when there is a slowdown, the first um, gut reaction on the part of companies is we gotta cut costs, right? It's, it's all about we gotta cut costs, it's an emergency. Um, but maybe a better way to think about it is we've got to become lean. We've got we've to cut waste out of things because at some point you're going to have to grow back again. And if you're just cutting costs, you might be cutting the things you're going to need to grow. What you're really trying to do, I think, is um, find the best unit economics or you know, the best way to per amount of revenue, and since your amount of revenue is shrinking, obviously your costs are going to shrink too, but then you're in a good position to grow again once the economy picks up. Yeah, some thoughts I have. Uh, typically, when slowdowns occur, they tend to be shorter in nature. Uh, if you look at the last few recessions, they've been somewhat short in nature. So I think you got to be opportunistic as you get into these situations. Um, totally agree, Mark, around looking for the ways you can scale um, uh, costs and expenses. But it's also a great time to acquire um, key resources in your organization. Um, I know talent is a big resource we talk a lot about uh, with, res with companies and really thinking about kind of what's the mission and the value prop of your organization and how can you acquire uh, those resources, but also it's an incredible time where you can potentially get discounts on acquisitions as well. So I think having the mindset of growth and growing through slowdowns is an important uh, mindset to have. When finance leaders see these periods, they tend to be kitchen sink periods in quotes, where you can kind of throw everything in um, and have a little bit more forgiveness as you think about what you're investing in versus what you're writing down. So there's an opportunity during slow growth to really make investments that are the right long-term investments, even though it may disappoint shareholders or disappoint constituents, um, it's a really opportunistic time to make those big investments as you go through there. Yeah, I think in, in a way, uh, I would generalize. I mean, there, there is, uh, whenever there's a big change, it opens up opportunities, right, as well as yeah. threats and challenges. And a big uh, disruption like a, a pandemic, you know, all kinds of opportunities are opening up. There are new potential lines of business, acquisitions, as you said, places you can invest with a really good return. Yeah, and I think the time to be thinking about this is perhaps before the economic slowdown happens, right? <laughs> you know, so that you're prepared for it, so that you can take advantage of those opportunities. And I think if I'm hearing what you guys are saying, I agree. It's about becoming agile rather than necessarily shrinking or growing, gaining that capability of being able to shrink and grow at will and being prepared for an economic slowdown or even, you know, the opposite when the economy, you know, bounces back. I mean, these things tend to happen in cycles. If you're prepared for it, then you can grow and shrink your expenses and your business and take care of, uh, take advantage of opportunities. Yeah, I like to point out to customers that, um, you know, everybody did a great job ultimately responding to COVID, uh, but the next disruption might not be like COVID, right? Um, that was a very particular sort of a disruption. The next one might be another pandemic with different characteristics, or it might be a result of global warming, or it might be a war or a trade war. Or, you know, there are so many possibilities for major disruptions. And 
how, how can you prepare for any kind of disruption that might ever come, right? It, it sounds a little bit impossible, but I think what Jake said is, is kind of the key. You gotta build a certain kind of agility that lets you respond quickly when you see what the parameters are. I was just talking to a, a customer today who pointed out that in COVID, um, generally leadership was still available to make decisions. You know, they, they weren't completely out of commission. And in a lot of disasters, that's exactly what you don't have. You know, somebody else has to take over and be able to run things. Mm. So that argues in favor of uh, having autonomous teams and kind of distributed uh, command and control? Yeah, and having uh, good control over um, access and, and authentication and things like that, right? Because uh, often what will happen is power will be transferred from one person to another and the second person doesn't have access to the data they need, for example, or doesn't have check signing authority, you know, they can't commit money, you know, or something else they need to be able to do. Running like tabletop simulations can sometimes help surface these things, although really it's hard to um, predict how it's going to unfold in a real crisis. All right. I like how this uh, escalated from an economic downturn to a full-blown catastrophe. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but scenario, scenario planning is really important, as yeah. we all know through our experiences, because you can't really plan for all of these scenarios. No. But having uh, the right controls in place, as you mentioned, I know we talk to customers a lot around prioritization and the ability to have the right mechanisms in place to make those decisions. I love the autonomous teams. I know that I see a lot of customers struggle with the balance of central authority versus distributed authority and how to make decisions. I don't know if you've seen any best practices as you have you seen. Well, I think there's an art to it, right? And, and I think a lot of times customers and, and all of us uh, tend to look at things in trade-offs, in terms of trade-offs, when you know, sometimes you gotta challenge the premise of the question. Sometimes it's not a trade-off. Sometimes you can have both. I think oftentimes you can have both. And I think in terms of governance, you can have both, right? You can have autonomous teams, but you can still have centralized oversight and control. It just takes a nuanced approach and perhaps a new approach uh, than what you're used to. Mm. Yeah. How would you say that that works at Amazon? You know, because we definitely have decentralized teams. How do, how do we get that sort of control? I think we err on the side of decentralization more than control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's by design. I, sometimes it seems to me that the, the leadership principles that we have are one of the keys, right? We, we know that everybody in the company is going to make decisions based on those leadership principles. So it's, whatever decision they make is going to be probably reasonably okay because we know they're going to be following those principles. So go ahead and be autonomous, you know, because uh, we're all held together by sort of uh, a set of uh, a foundation, let's say, of common understanding. Yeah, and, and just like all uh, leadership principle theory, it's uh, balancing leadership principles, like in this case, probably deliver results and bias for action, right? How do you balance those two things? Uh, you can have a bias for action, and so, so you're autonomous. You yeah. get to make the decision, but you need to deliver. You can't just make arbitrary decisions and get yeah. arbitrary results. You need to actually make intelligent decisions, learn from your mistakes, you know, um, course correct when necessary, and ultimately, at the end of the day, accomplish things and uh, deliver value for customers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And one of the things I see a lot with customers, they may not have leadership principles or maybe operating uh, um, uh, model, uh, but they are struggling with how to make trade-offs. Like, how do you balance 
um, expected returns, which business to invest in, um, what's the balance between quantitative and qualitative assessment. I see a lot of customers struggling with how to do that, and, and I love the idea of, of maybe working some of those things out from a governance or decision-making standpoint, either decentralized or centralized before you get into a stagnant period, because uh, that's really when you get isolated and the light shined on uh, your readiness for that. Uh, but I don't know if either of you have seen any frameworks or models or trade-offs approaches that has worked well with any customers or your own personal experience? Yeah, so sometimes customers ask me, how should we measure yeah. the success of a transformation, right? Do you get that? <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. I was asked to do a deck on that recently. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how do you answer it? Uh, well, it's actually, the more I thought about it, the more complicated the answer became, right? Because, you know, it's the kind of first uh, level of it is, you know, uh, kind of vanity metrics type of thing, like uh, how much percentage are you in the cloud, how much percentage of your uh, staff is trained, that sort of thing. But when you really dig deep, uh, it's more than that. It's much more than that, right? So it's really, at the end of the day, it's about business value and even beyond that, customer value, right, which drives business value. So um, if you can measure that, that's the ultimate way to do that. But the problem with that is that's very long term, right? So the cycles are long. So you need to have proxies, more short cycle proxies. Um, to, to, to measure, to ensure that you're kind of on the right course, so. Yeah, even, even if you could measure long-term, it's notoriously difficult to measure business value, right? Because things are changing around you, the environment is changing. You could say, oh, you know, we increased revenue X percentage, but the entire economy was growing X percentage or whatever it is, right? Really hard to extract the factors that are really influenced by what you're doing with the cloud. Mm -hmm. I just read uh, one study that our uh, uh, benchmarking team did uh, in partnership with uh, Hackett. They looked from October to December of last year and looked at how much um, uh, bottom line results change for companies going who've gone through a cloud transformation and those who haven't. So there's about a thousand customers in this, and it was really interesting to see kind of the longer you've been transforming as a business um, through the cloud, the more growth you've seen in, in, relative to your business compared to the comparables. If I recall the numbers, I think it was between one and three years. It was about two percent increased growth over bottom line results more than your competitors uh, comparables not going through this. I think three to six years was five percent, but six years plus was seven percent more growth. So I think um, uh, I think a lot of that speaks to um, the you know business transformation that happens beyond just the technology happening inside the organization. Um, so it's really that mindset change to balance against. Uh, the business value you can point to to where these investments make sense. So I found that pretty intriguing. What's in, what's interesting about that is there there are kind of two sorts of benefits, right? There there is the benefit that you concretely shoot for, right? We're going to move to the cloud because that's going to let us use fraud detection to reduce the amount of fraud, and we can measure. The, the reduction in fraud, right? Uh, because we're actually managing to that objective. We're, we're deliberately using it and setting up the processes we need to use it and all of that. And then there are some impacts that you can only see in this big aggregate, you know, uh, from our point of view, looking across lots of different companies where mindset is changing, people are thinking differently, they're more able to innovate, but you're not specifically managing for that, you know, or, or at least you're only indirectly managing for that, and yet that's where a lot of the benefit winds up being. 
Yeah, that's one of the pitfalls I see is when customers try to look at an app-by-app kind of decision of should it be on-prem, should it be in the cloud? I really like the notion of a more portfolio view of that decisioning because you can start then thinking of those outside benefits beyond just that one application and what will change with that application. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. So I think if you're asking the question during an economic downturn, then perhaps you might be thinking about it a little too late. Um, I think it's it, useful to think of these things before change happens. Like how, how can you prepare for change? How can you be agile enough to um, react to change and to adapt to the change that's happening, whether it be a downturn or um, any, any kind of change within the environment? Um, think having a long-term approach before that happens and thinking about increasing your agility um, allows you to be prepared for a downturn or an upturn or anything unexpected. Yeah, um, maybe this is a question for Chris. I mean, the, the challenge often is if you're gonna invest in agility, you don't really know what returns to expect, right? So it's, it's often hard for companies to make a decision to invest in something that's just gonna make them more agile or more innovative or something like that. How do you, how do you think about that as a CFO? Yeah, um, I think um, as you think about, like transparency is really important. I know when I think about this around, because one of the big elements as you think about development and building new features and capabilities inside of organizations are either the agile teams or the number of developers or the amount of data engineers. So understanding and having insight around where um, businesses are investing their IT capacity is really important from a financial standpoint because uh, the denomination I see with a lot of companies is around either through partners or in-house how much development capacity do they have, and then how much do they have available that can drive new transformational activities. Um, one of the topics I talk with a lot of customers is this balance between run and invest, and how do you drive as much efficiency and optimization on the run side, but also from a, a financial standpoint, where can we make investments? Where do we have capacity, and where are we directing that? Um, so I know a lot of companies struggle with having insight around where their resources spend time and effort, um, and I know time tracking is a sensitive topic for developers. So I talk to a lot of customers about just having a high-level insight in maybe key categories or thematic uh, bucketing within an organization so they know where their capacities are developed and spending time. And they can then make the right trade-offs and decisions around that. Because if the capacity, uh, you do need to draw it back, you need to then have insight around what trade-offs you need to make as you get there. That all sounds fine at sort of a high, you know, high level theoretical uh, um, way of thinking about it. But if Jake came to you and said, um, we need to, we have these legacy systems that are holding us back from being agile and we need to invest $100,000, you know, to, to bring them up to date, what, what would you say? Yeah. I think there's uh, one thing you always have to be sensitive is what are the financial dynamics going on in the organization? Yeah. Um, so uh, how well prepared uh, from a capitalization standpoint are they to make those investments? But assuming you are positioned well as an organization um, and, and, and understanding where you stand, I think a lot of organizations, and what I would recommend to Jake is, let's put all the data together. What's the investment that we expect to make? What's the value we can expect, both quantitative and qualitative? 
And then how does that compare to other investments where we can direct those resources? So I think uh, using data to make decisions is really important. So while I would empathize with Jake and I remember these conversations when there's finite capacity, but a lot of businesses want to make a lot of investments, how do you then make the decisions necessary to get there? Um, you have to have that port portfolio view. You have to have, while as much as you want to distribute autonomous decisions, there may be points where you need to group and have maybe the C-level make decisions around what are the best investments we can make at this point in time. Um, but then you can decentralize back to allowing more autonomy. So I think it's like an accordion at times, mm -hmm. depending on if you're growing and what the environment's like, but also how many priorities you have as a business. Because all of this needs to link back to your business strategy and the objectives you're trying to deliver. Uh, so while I would empathize with Jake around his desire to make the investment, I would want to make sure we understood what trade-offs would be necessary to get there. But taking a long-term view of that, and especially if the benefits are there, um, I, I would see what are ways in which we could even accelerate some of that activity to maybe realize that benefits even faster, especially when you're in those static times where growth may not be as strong as it has been in the past. So how would you answer that question uh, if you wanted to make that investment, Jake? I think it's in general, hard to make a business case for agility, right? Yeah. Um, to your point. Um, so I think what it requires and what I've seen be successful is to have an understanding that agility is going to help you in ways that you probably don't even understand today. I mean, that's the nature of agility. It's gonna help you um, deal with things that you can't predict uh, necessarily, yeah. uh, or to what extent you can predict. Um, so. You know, you have to have that belief that agility is going to help you, and then figure out a way to, to do it. And I think that you can cut out a lot of the analysis and a lot of the overhead with, uh, not to say that business cases aren't a good thing, they typically are, but for agility specifically, uh, we want to increase our agility in the future so that we can deal with the unexpected. If you try to quantify that with data, that could be a very difficult exercise. I think it could be a lot easier to just understand the reasons why agility is going to be useful to your organization, and then set out to increase that. Um, with the belief and kind of the faith that that's going to help you in the fullness of time. Yeah, I, uh, I often tell the story from my work history before joining AWS. Uh, so for the audience, I was the CIO of US Citizenship and Immigration Services. Um, the story of how uh, I was watching the news one, one day and President Obama came on, he was doing a press conference and he was announcing this thing called DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, right? which turned out to be his big immigration initiative. And he announced it was gonna be rolled out in 60 days. This is back to your point about it might be too late, you know, if you haven't already thought about agility. Um, he, it was a, a complete shock to me, you know, because he hadn't mentioned it and it was my team that was going to have to roll it out in 60 days. And what he didn't know is that uh, it took us about 18 months between releases of each of our IT systems at that point. That's how slow we were. And we were gonna have to, it turned out, change 25 legacy IT systems to make this happen. Uh, but the president had promised it to the public, right? So then you're in that situation where you haven't, haven't already figured out how you're gonna be fast and suddenly you have the demand and you're not set up for it. So um, that did make it easy to sell the business case for why we needed more speed, because it's just gonna keep happening. You know, We're in immigration and the president cares a lot about immigration. Um, so even you know, in, in the government, often you don't have financial returns that you can measure or anything like that, but you have a keen sense of mission and everybody understands what it means to accomplish mission. Yeah, and I think sometimes it takes not a crisis necessarily, but something like that, a, a big kind of vision 
or a challenge, right? And that challenge. was certainly the case for yeah. me when I was a customer at Live Nation. We had got a challenge from the CEO to go all in uh, with AWS in 12 months. So we weren't prepared to do that at the time. We had to find a way. And part of finding that way was becoming more agile um, in a general sense, right? Not, not necessarily agile methodologies, although those are a part of it, but just in general become more adaptable, all right? And, and that served us for the next time that there was, because uh, there'll always be a next time. Whatever industry you're in, there's always gonna be unexpected things you have to deal with. Um, so sometimes it takes one big one to kind of prompt you. And sometimes it takes a leader to kind of step up and create that condition as well. You know, we had a uh, measure that we used to track mean time between surprises. And, our, <laughs> you know, our goal was to reduce the you know, frequency of surprises. Yeah. But that was before we had the capability to deal with surprises. Once we went all in on cloud, then, of course, you know, um, the surprises didn't bother us quite as much. In fact, you know, there were usually opportunities that we could take advantage of. Yeah. So uh, before you said it might be too late if you haven't thought about it beforehand, but the, in fact, uh, don't give up. You know, if you are in that situation, sometimes a crisis really helps a lot Absolutely. to accelerate it. Yeah, and I know one thing I love about AWS is the focus on use cases and customer stories and customers learning from customers. So I think a great action you can take is really learning about businesses who have thrived uh, during downtimes. Look at what they did uh, that, that worked well, and then obviously adopt what works well into the culture of your company. So uh, you, you don't have to have all doom and gloom if you're in this <laughs> circumstance. Uh, you can learn from others and especially encourage and, and lean on AWS as a way to learn from uh, the customers that have done it really well. I think that's a great point, right? So like you don't have to speculate as to uh, what the benefit of agility is, especially nowadays, right? Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago it might be different, five years ago it might have been different, but today we have so many great examples of companies who have transformed using AWS, using the cloud, um, that have increased their agility and were able to take advantage of opportunities and handle crises because of that. So you don't, it doesn't require quite as much faith as it used to have, right? You can. It's almost like the customer examples are the business case now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights for more on these topics.